Okay. Uh, those of you that are, are joining us for the first time, we're going back and forth between two books in the Bible. So for some of us, there's a little whiplash. Last week we were in Jonah. This week we're in First Peter. And we're just going back and forth. This is the second time we've done this. Uh, I think last year, uh, for me personally, I loved it. Um, and that's why we're doing it now, because it's really all about me and what I like and what I want to do. So let's just get that cleared up right away. Okay, so here's what we're doing. We're back in First Peter. We're in, still in chapter 1. We're now moving towards the end of chapter 1. Um, so one evening when we only had four kids, so there is a BT era in our life, a before tie era in our life, and then there's an after tie, an AT time period in our life. Now, the BT days with the four other children, uh, we were reading the Bible one evening. And at this time, we read this big old, I mean, it's a really big, big Bible, the, the illustrated Bible, right? I mean, it was like this, and it had these incredibly graphic, vivid images. Uh, so do not think like veggie tale like characters where the whole world seems to be like one of those bounce houses, right? It's graphic, real life illustrations. Um, although I must say, I do and did like the silly songs to veggie tales. Did y'all not like? Do y'all even know what I'm talking about? Do people still do Veggie Tales? Very good. You remember uh, Barbara Manatee? You're the one for me? Yes, yes. And how about the bunny? The bunny, the bunny. Whoa, I love the bunny. Yeah, and then remember King Charles in the bathtub? Okay. Those were really cool. The other stuff, not. Wait, did I ever tell y'all about the day that we ended Veggie Tale at the Hatton Home? Have I told you all about this? Oh, this is a really good story. Okay, so VeggieTales were the big thing. I mean, every time a new episode came out, it was like Kanye was dropping an album, right? Everybody was rushing, and you had to go to the library. You didn't, couldn't just download it on the internet in those days, and you got the little cassette or the DVDs or whatever. All right, so we're doing VeggieTales with our kids, and then one day I'm reading the story of David and Goliath to our kids. And one of them says, where's the giant pickle, dad? <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I said, that's it. No more veggie tales. No more. So we're reading out of the big illustrated Bible, right, this evening. And uh, Bryn's turn to pick the story, and she picks the David and Bathsheba story. Um, she knows nothing of the story. She's a little kid. She simply likes the pictures of beautiful Bathsheba, because this is a vivid, illustrated Bible, right? Now, she's done this before. This is maybe like her second, third, or fourth time that she's wanted us to do the David and Bathsheba story. But like I did before, I would simply distract her and then convince everybody that we should look at the Moses story and the parting of the sea and the God war and all that that's going on. But this time, I decided not to be holier than God. And I said, okay, we're going to read it. Now, up to this point, you need to understand in our family, up to this point, David is the greatest human being that's ever lived. I mean, he is the warrior king, the warrior worshiper, 
the giant slayer, the champion, the unparalleled royal king, maybe in the history of the world. And they knew that. And he was the most loyal friend. He loved his friends and loved his men so much that all he did one time is say, I wish I could get a drink from my home well. And two dudes go, we're on it. Didn't tell him. Fight through an army to go to the home well because it was overtaken by the enemy. Gets him a cup of water and brings it back to him. Men don't do that. Friends don't do that if you don't love them. So, we're back to this story, and now we start reading about David stealing his best friend's wife. David lying to his best friend. David murdering his best friend. And it is absolutely, deathly quiet. And while I'm reading, the youngest son at the time puts his hand on my arm to stop the reading. This very confused look on his face, this very concerned look on his face, and he says, Daddy, is this a different David? Are you reading a different Bible? So, Uh, Last week, Colin and I did a a podcast. Um, Well, let's do this. Let's read the scripture, and then we'll get into that podcast. What are we going to do today? We're going to look at the Bible. But we're going to look at what is good biblical teaching. Because some of us might be reading a different Bible than the Bible. Are we? Is there a different David? Is there a different Moses? Is there a different you? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's stand and let's read uh, 1 Peter chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12. I'll fill in as we go forward. So if you're just dropping in here and you're like, okay, I feel like I'm dropping in mid-sentence because it certainly looks like it. Concerning the salvation, right, we're in the middle of an idea, although this is a, a new section. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they they were serving not themselves, but you. In other words, you, me, the church, Christians, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. But here's the catch. It's by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit actually does the preaching. Unbelievable. Sent from heaven. Things. (laughs) This is amazing. Into which angels long to look. So what we are about to look at this morning, angels long to look, even if we don't. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh, Lord, may we look. May we look. May we look. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Bible. Are you reading a different Bible? So Colin and I did a podcast last week, uh, and again, we were wrestling with the idea of Bible teaching. Um, We were not wrestling with the nature of the Bible. Like, what is the Bible? That's not what this is about. But it's about the Bible's teaching. What is good Bible teaching, right? Because let's be obvious, and let's state the obvious. There's obviously Bible teachers everywhere. There's obviously Bible teaching options and platforms everywhere. Everyone's doing a podcast, even us. (laughs) Right? Obviously, there will be and always will be the next big thing to hit the church. There will always be the next big teaching. There will always be the next big teacher. Always. This is always going to happen. So the question is, when you're surrounded by all this Bible teaching, what is good Bible teaching? That's the question. What kind of Bible teaching do you build your life around? What kind of Bible teaching do you build your relationships around? What kind of Bible teaching do you build your home around? What kind of Bible teaching actually reaches and renews as many people as possible? What kind of Bible teaching is the culture unknowingly don't know it's their cure? What kind of Bible teaching changes the world? And maybe in a way that you don't understand change to be. What is good Bible teaching? Some of you are thinking right now, well, who really cares, Jeff, as long as we open the dadgum Bible? Right? Just read the Bible. Open the Bible. Teach the Bible. I mean, stop, Jeff, being such a Bible elitist. Oh, I will teach you what good teaching is, you poor peasants. Right? Who cares? Just open the Bible. Okay, just so that I'm really, really crystal clear, because I need to be really, really crystal clear and for everybody that will listen and whatever that's going on. I'm not the one saying there's good Bible teaching and there's bad Bible teaching. The Bible is. The Bible says so. In fact, the Bible says that bad Bible teaching takes you, your family, and your community and throws them overboard. The image is absolutely intentional. Do you see the image? The image is not that you, the family, and the community are lost at sea, desperately in need of rescue, and bad Bible teaching is like a life preserver that never comes. It just doesn't help you. It's just bad Bible teaching. You're lost at sea. You need a life preserver. You need rescue. You need something to help you. And bad Bible teaching just goes on by. Just can't do it. Just doesn't throw the life preserver. No, the vivid image is intentional. Bad Bible teaching grabs you from the safety of the boat 
rips you out of the safety of the boat and casts you into a stormy sea, and then it comes over and holds your head under the water. So much so that Paul, when he gets in contact with bad Bible teaching, he says, silence it. Oh, yikes. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's kind of interesting. Today we could say it this way. Bad Bible teaching waterboards you. And your loved ones and your community. So in one sense, we can just get all mad at the culture and all mad at the crazies, and you're probably one of them. We can do that. Or we could say, that's the result of bad Bible teaching. The Bible. Are you reading a different Bible? Our text today is about good Bible teaching. What is good Bible teaching? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer that. I think there's going to be three answers, I think. Maybe two. We'll figure it out. All right. Let's look at verse 10 up on the screen. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied. What is the prophets who prophesied? These are God's human agents of divine revelation. Woo! I was just talking with Ruth. She's going to be in this class, and we're looking at the nature of the Bible, and that's the kind of language that books that I just gave them give you, and it's like, what is that? All right, these are the human authors of the Bible. God has appointed redemptive agents to be the agents of inscripturating his word. We could say it this way. The Bible is 100% God's words, but also 100% human words. But he didn't just choose any human to do the 100% human words. He chose certain individuals to be those agents of revelation. The prophets who prophesied are those agents. So Peter's talking about the Bible here. Do you see that? That's what's happened in verse 10. He's talking about the Bible. The Bible they had at that time. Well, what Bible did they have at that time? Well, they had the Old Testament. Jews and Christians at that time knew the Bible that was inscripturated by these prophets. They had it. It was called the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament was currently being put together at this time. Obviously, 1 Peter is part of the New Testament. What were the human authors of the Bible at that time? The prophets. Which prophets are you talking about? Anybody that was a divine agent of revelation. Moses was. Moses was called the first great prophet. First five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. The prophets were the divine agents of revelation. The apostles will be the divine agents, like Peter, for the New Testament. Do you see where we're going here? So don't miss this. Do you see what's going on? It's absolutely breathtaking. It's absolutely astounding. It's absolutely incredible. Do you see the order of 1 Peter so far? Do you see the flow of the book of 1 Peter so far? 1 Peter says to you and me, and he says to Christians and churches everywhere, he says, I know you are suffering. He says so in one long sentence that has one main verb, and it's not even supplied. It's implied. It's a be verb. Verses 
3 through 9 is a long run-on sentence. I know you are suffering. And why does Peter say that in one long sentence? Why does the book of 1 Peter start out that way? I know you are suffering. Because when you suffer, you feel like you are invisible. You feel like you're invisible to God. You feel like you're invisible to your loved ones. You feel like you're invisible to everyone. Even like when you suffer, you think you're invisible to the trees and the birds, to all the world. And in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, God says to you, to you who suffer, he says to you right now, I see you. I see you. You're not invisible to me. Now, what does Peter do next? This is what's so amazing, and this is what's so breathtaking. This is what's so powerful. What comes next? The Bible. Bible teaching. Notice, I could have said it this way. What comes next? What does Peter do next? I could say it this way, 1 Peter 1.10. Concerning suffering and the salvation, let's now talk about 100 ways to successfully survive suffering. Let's talk about, let's learn to overcome suffering like Job. Wait, did he? We could say concerning the suffering and salvation, now let's talk about you suffering husbands. Love your dadgum wives. Suck it up, sufferers. We could say, now let's talk about here's how to activate God, the Holy Spirit, biblical principles, whatever the thing is right now. Here's how to activate it into your suffering. Here's how you activate and connect. What does he do next? Let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about good biblical teaching. <laughs> Concerning suffering and the salvation, the prophets who prophesied. What is good Bible teaching? Here's what it is. We don't even, we don't even have, we haven't even said what the content of it is. I hope you see this. It's, the content is not there yet. We're going to get to it. But good Bible teaching must, here's the first thing, good Bible teaching must be strong enough for suffering. How do you know if it's good Bible teaching? Is it strong enough for suffering? How do you know this is good teaching? Is it strong enough for suffering? Is it sufficient enough for suffering? If not, it's worthless. When you suffer, you can't figure it out. So that eliminates 80% of Bible teaching. When you suffer, you can't fix it. That eliminates 90% of Bible teaching. When you suffer, you can't heal yourself. 
that pretty much picks up the rest. When you suffer, you need something more. When you suffer, you need something stronger. When you suffer, you need good Bible teaching. This is why, might as well. This is why in the past two and a half years, there's been a lot of craziness going on. Everybody's documenting it. People are leaving the churches. People aren't returning to the churches. Church attendance is dropping all over the United States and all over the world. You want to know what I think, why that is happening? Because when you're suffering, certain kinds of Bible teaching aren't strong enough. When you suffer, you can't fix it. When you suffer, you can't figure it out. When you suffer, you can't heal yourself, heal your family, heal a culture. When you suffer, you need something stronger, something more. Good Bible teaching. But notice it's not any kind of Bible teaching. Now we're moving into the content. It's not any kind of Bible content. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about, here it comes, here comes the teaching, here comes the content about the grace that was to be yours. This is unbelievable. So the Bible's about the grace that is to be yours. Literally, the Bible's teaching, the Bible's content. Here's what it literally says, the grace that comes to you. And it's in the present tense, so it's saying, the grace that continually comes to you. What's good Bible teaching? The grace. What's good Bible teaching? Teaching that gives you grace. Jeff, can you be clear? Okay, what is good Bible teaching? Teaching that gives you grace. Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? It's everything. Paul, when he is struggling, suffering, as an apostle, doesn't know what to do. He prays and prays for this thing to be taken away, that thing to be taken away. He's, he's sweating blood for all the issues in the churches. He doesn't know what to do. He can't figure it out. He can't fix it. He can't heal himself. And he keeps calling out to God, what, what, do something. And Jesus' answer, my grace is sufficient. This is amazing. The message of the Bible is grace. The content of the Bible is grace. The teaching of the Bible is grace. Do not miss this. This is the Old Testament. This is the prophets. Good Bible teaching gives you grace. 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 So let's just state the obvious because we're all thinking it. I might as well just say it because I'm the one up here. I'm just going to say it. The implication is this. Bad Bible teaching does not give you grace. Bad Bible teaching gives you, you, do this, be this, figure this out, activate God, 
Activate the Holy Spirit. Activate biblical principles. Activate the law. Activate your will. Change your heart. Fix this area of your life. Take back the culture. Be this way. Do this thing. You know, it's interesting that, yes, we can read the Bible, but we cannot activate God. Do you see that? Yeah, you can read the Bible. I can sit up here all day and tell you to have your quiet time and to pray. Great. Which is a good thing to do. But you can't activate God. You can, sure, you can stop lying and you can stop visiting those websites. But you can't change your heart. You can't, as Paul says, have the will to act. You can't change a life. You can't change a friend. You can't change a culture. You can't change yourself. You can't change your thinking and your feeling and your desires. Paul says this kind of teaching, this bad Bible teaching, kills you. It accuses you. It condemns you. It shows you. Remember we just talked about it? It functions as the law. It shows you that you're a sinner. So imagine you're being, all the power going into this kind of teaching is showing you, condemning you, killing you, but it's being used in a way, in an unlawful way, to actually try to give you life and fix you and figure you out and activate God in your life. What attention. That's why this kind of teaching makes you anxious. It's why it exhausts you. It's why it depresses you. That's why this kind of teaching is impossible to achieve. You can never get to the finish line. There's always more. And it's never enough. And you're never enough. Even if you're trying to be authentic. Are you authentic enough? I don't know. I think that's what's... No, I'm going to stop. It makes you toxic, this kind of bad Bible teaching. You become metallic. You become cold. You become mechanical. You become high on the drug of self-righteousness. Toxic. It alienates you from other people. It alienates you from yourself so much so that it makes you a hypocrite because you know it's not true. You know the things you're saying aren't real to you. But you pretend they are. Look, these 10 steps really did work for me. No, they didn't. It makes you live in Disneyland. You've got to create a world that doesn't exist and pretend and get everybody else around there to pretend that everything's going the way it's supposed to go. That's why some people think that there's like an A team and a B team in Christianity. That's why a lot of biblical teaching, bad Bible teaching, has two stages to it, two steps to it, because they have to, because there has to be some A team and victorious plane because the rest seem to not be doing very well. What is good Bible teaching? Answer number one, teaching that's strong enough for suffering. Answer number two, teaching that gives you grace. 
So many of you think, this kind of Bible teaching, no, Jeff, this sounds too good to be true. This sounds too amazing. This sounds too stunning. This is too wonderful. This is too strange. Absolutely too strange. This is so strange, Jeff. I feel like if I believe this, I'm the only one on the planet that's going to believe this stuff. And I'm going to be constantly coming into situations where people really don't believe this stuff, even in the church. And my answer to that is, you're right, it is. It's too wonderful. It's too amazing. It's too good to be true. It was for the prophets. Look at verse 10. Don't miss what Peter's saying here. Let's put verse 10 up again. Concerning the salvation and verse 11. So we got to go to verse 11 probably. Let's go to verse 11. You read that part. Inquiring. This is the Old Testament. The Old Testament's being written. These divine agents of the Old Testament are inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What? It says in verse 10 that they are searching. They are so stunned about what's coming. They are so stunned about some person. They are so stunned about the sufferings of this person and the glories of this person. They're so amazed by it. They can't stop searching. God's giving them the inscripturate of the word, and they're turning around while he's using them to inscripturate the word. They're in that word trying to figure it out. So amazed inquiring, asking questions like, who is this? This can't be true. It's too good to be true. It's too wonderful. It's too amazing. It's so strange. And the prophets didn't just write about the grace of God generally. Do you see that? Verse 11, they wrote about the grace of God specifically, the sufferings of Christ. That's how specific this is in the Old Testament and the subsequent glories of Christ. In other words, they wrote about Jesus doing everything that ever needed to be done. The sufferings of Christ are everything that ever needed to be done. The glories of Christ, the resurrection, are about everything that ever needed to be done. Grace is about someone who did everything that ever needed to be done. So you get grace. This is why it's not about you fixing it, you figuring it out, you healing yourself. Grace is about someone who did everything that ever needed to be done. It's done. And because it's done, that's why you rest. The degree to which you get, Jesus has done everything that ever needed to be done is the degree to which you rest. Because the part of your life that you don't get, that he did everything that ever needed to be done, you're at work. You're trying to activate. You're trying to make it happen. And again, we're not talking about, you can stop lying if you want, great. But do you want to have a new heart about that? That's not your room. You can stop going to those websites, great. Don't go to them. But those desires, that takes grace. 
to have new ones and to kill them. This is good news. This is good news teaching. This is news. Grace is about news. It's about announcing that someone has already done everything that ever needed to be done. So, good Bible teaching is also too good to be true, too amazing, too wonderful, too stunning, too strange for another group of people in this text. Not just the prophets, not just the super saints for the angels. Do you see that? Let's go to that. Things into which angels long to look. There are supernatural beings in the world, and we're going to talk about this on Wednesday. There are supernatural beings in the world that right now, this is present tense, that are right now stooping over the reality over the barricade, over the barrier between the invisible world and the visible world. Remember, creation is a visible creation and an invisible creation. They are connected. So these creatures, these supernatural creatures, are at the borders. They're at the edge of the invisible world, and they're literally bending, stooping, bending to hear this good news. They long to see it. They can't comprehend that everything that needed to be done has already forever been done. What? They long to look. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, they are like, what is that? I can't unlook it. I can't unsee it. So even if you feel like you're the only person on the planet that believes in good Bible teaching, even if you feel you're the only person on the planet who teaches good Bible teaching, even if you're the only person on the planet that's learning to build their life, their relationship, their home, and whoever they love around good Bible teaching, If you feel like you're the only one, the answer is you are not. You have the Bible. The prophets, they did too. The apostles, they did too. And you have supernatural beings that believe it. They long to look at it. They can't take their eyes away from it. It's too wonderful. It's too strange. It's too... Another way of saying it is this. If it's amazing and wonderful for the angels, <laughs> what do you think it is for us? What is good Bible teaching? Teaching that's strong enough for suffering. Teaching that gives you grace. Teaching that makes you long to look at everything that's already forever been done. Jesus. Amen. Amen.